Welcome to The Porch. I'm Lindsay Bacardo, keynote speaker and virtual presenter for organizations who want to build strong, multi-generational teams. I believe that the modern day leader has a moral obligation to grow personally and lead others from a grounded and healthy and healed place. You're going to hear me bring on psychologists, neuroscience experts, storytellers, emotional intelligence researchers, really anything that helps a leader grow personally and ultimately impact the culture of their organization. This is where I bring my favorite thought leaders on these topics to teach and mentor us through our own growth. I'm so glad you're here and welcome to The Porch. We're so glad that everybody's here. I think it's really ironic that we're going to talk about being Zoomed out. I know, I was thinking that too. <laughs> Zoom. So if you're the type of person that uh, needs to like move around, wiggle around, this, this is a great chance to go for a walk. If you're in India, you're going to have to put like a scarf on, but you can go for a walk, <laughs> stretch, move around. Uh, we'll use our chat as always. We definitely want to talk to you and if you need to move around and you just want to listen, that's totally cool. We get it. Uh, we really get it. Because we really Anne get it now, right? <laughs> and Anne has got, what I love is that in her background, like one of her cats is like clawing at the window. We've got a cat butt over here. I should probably bring my dog on. Absolutely. Know. I mean, that is, you know, we didn't talk about the upside of Zoom and that is one of the upsides. You get to see people's, you know, oh, hello, sweetie. Oh, all right. Hello. We have a new Hi, Amber. leader today on the Zoom call. This is Ember. She's she was just sleeping, so she's not happy with she's me. Right like, now. Why did you bother me? She's not happy with it. Okay, yeah. put your we down. should talk a little bit about you know sort of what are the what are you know because we're kind of focused on like why is Zoom making us so tired? Maybe we should talk to Lindsay about like what are the what are some of the things that are kind of cool about it? I love it. We could do that too. I think that's great. And there are you know. Anytime a new technology comes out, it's very common that it gets demonized. So when the radio came out, the American Psychiatric Association published a statement saying like, this is going to invade your home. Messages will reach your kids that you can't control. We had that moment, right? People got mad. Even like when chess became a thing, when the bicycle was being used, people got upset because they're like, we don't like this. This is dangerous. People are just going to want to ride their bikes around play chess and not do what we've always done. But that is part of what technology does. It disrupts yeah. current life and it changes us. Yeah, and I think that that's part of what is sort of challenging about this world that we sort of ended up in very, very quickly. Is Because yeah. I was thinking about how um, really for the brain, telephone is easier. And I was thinking, well, that's really interesting. But part of it is that we grow up with it. Whatever age you are, whatever mm -hmm. generation you are, you did grow up with um, from a very being very small. Now, maybe as we look at more of the digital natives, Lindsay, yep. some of the way they're going to grow up is more with visual as well. So yep. there may be somewhat of a different adaptation there. But I think about you know, I was just saying to these guys, I'm 56 years old, and maybe some of you on the caller remember laying in the hallway with the phone cord stretched as far as you could. Yeah. So that you could talk to your best friend in your room with the door closed. That's right. Could, right? That's exactly right. We're used to connecting that way, and this has required a real shift of the brain in an intense 
somewhat overwhelming and very quick way. And I think that is one of the problems. It's not that the technology is terrible and we should demonize it. It's just we got to get thrust into it with no gradual lead up. And all of a sudden, it's like everything, like yep. overnight. That's exactly it. Well, I'm so glad that we're talking about this because do you ever find that if, and I've seen this with my clients in the last few weeks, they're like, I don't know why I feel this way. What's wrong with me? Why do I feel this way? Oh, I feel weird. Why do I feel this way? And if we can just explain, this is why you're likely feeling this way. Yeah. It actually takes some of the anxiety out of it, doesn't it? Absolutely. And I think about, I was talking to a client yesterday who was saying he had a couple of days he wanted to go to sleep at 4.30. And yeah. You know, I was just, uh, as you know, Lindsay, I was just writing about this in preparation for today. And part of it was like, if you feel tired, don't think that you're a weenie or you're weak or you're just kind of, you know, not cool enough. It's really, there are some real logical research-based reasons why if you are, and part of it for him was he was spending all day on Zoom. Mm -hmm. And so people are like, you know, like, why should that you know, necessarily be more exhausting while well, there are some reasons why it is. I so. love that. Will you jump in and share? So, cause we, we like, everybody should know this came up because Ann and I were on a totally different call about generations and we were having fun with her and her team. And then she, all she did, she, Ann does this. She like drops little breadcrumbs. She's <laughs> like, what did I do? you said, did you know that when People are in the same room. They trigger your smell. Like even if you don't smell them, their pheromones trigger you. Yep. And you said one, oh, your peripheral vision is triggered yep. um, in a different way when you're with humans like in real life. And I grabbed onto that one little thing Anne said, and I was like, come back on the porch. <laughs> Tell everybody. Well, Tell the world. What was really great about it, Lindsay, so if you, if you don't know me, if you haven't hung out with me before, my, my thing is the brain, and I like to translate the brain into human development, and that's how Lindsay and I know each other. We're both yep. coaches. So, you know, I'm always kind of looking at, is there a brain explanation? Is there a neuroscience explanation? And so I am not an expert in attention, which is what this is. So there mm -hmm. are people who research attention. So that's what we're dealing with right here. But I do know a lot of generalized things about the brain. And I was noticing for myself, Lindsay, that I would get off a few hours of Zoom and feel like I'd been hit by a truck. Yeah. Which is different than, and it was a different kind of exhaustion than if I'm all day in a classroom, where often I would feel somewhat energized. Mm -hmm. So really in looking at kind of what were, so first I looked at sort of what were my initial hits around it, and there are a few, and then really what are the researchers saying about this? So yes. one of them is, one of the things that I think is, might be biggest is that we process with all of our senses. And mm -hmm. so one of the reasons why it's easier in person is we get, you know, smell, uh, touch, visual operates a little differently. And I want to talk about that as well as the hearing. And we can go in and out of sort of sharp focus into soft focus. And it's harder to do that on a call like this. And I love the woman, who is that there? Sally, thank you for nodding at me. <laughs> it's making me feel Sally, very empowered. Sally, you're my girl. <laughs> I'm, this just one. Like, I'm just loving that, you Sally. Too. Yeah. She's nodding at me. <laughs> That's great. Um, so, thinking that what, and I think even there's a, there's even a way that we taste 
um, in terms of how the air tastes and things like that. And a lot mm -hmm. of these things, you know, one of the examples I give is when I was growing up, my dad smoked a pipe, not very common anymore, but occasionally I'll get this whiff of pipe tobacco. Mm -hmm. And it sort of like brings me back to this little girl time and just has, it makes me feel really like warm. Um, so there, that's a conscious way that we're aware. Yep. So you might have that, you know, when, when you hug your, whoever it is, grandma or whatever, like there may be a smell. And if you get a whiff of Jean Nate, you're just right back to grandma, right? Yep. But that's more what we're kind of aware of. And then there's all sorts of stuff going on with smell that we're not aware of. That is, it's a major processing thing for us. So just like dogs, we smell fear. We can smell emotions on each other. We're not gonna necessarily be aware, but our bodies are gonna respond. And it's gonna mm -hmm. give us a huge amount of information that we don't have access to on the screen. So yeah. let me pause there, cause there's more, but. No, I think that's great. That's so helpful because, and you've said this before, and there is, Anne wrote an awesome blog about this that, um, Sam, can you get that blog and I'll send you the link, but let's get it into the, um, I'll jump in my email. I want to make sure people can see it in the chat before the end. Um, I'll get you the link, but Anne, what we're talking about, if you're just jumping on, I know we're kind of all kind of coming in, uh, at the end here at 410, which is totally fine. I know we're all doing a million things, but we're talking about this idea that being in person is wildly different than being on Zoom. And all of this, Anna said this before, but so much of who we are operates under the surface. Right. And you don't really think about it. The tobacco one, you can kind of access, but there's other ones that are happening every day when you're bumping into people and talking to people that we're not able to um, even access on Zoom. So. I love that. We've got so much more to share. Thank you for coming and spending some time with us today. A quick intro, Ann Betts is an author. She's a keynote speaker that, she's the type of keynote speaker where you just shut up and listen and you don't check your phone. That's who she is. She oh, knows like so that. much That's about good. neuroscience and on the other end of the spectrum, she's a poet. So if you need a coach in your life or you wanna learn more about coaching skills, she's my coach, she's who I go to when I'm trying to make sense of what's happening around me. She's awesome at that. If you Google Ann Betts, you'll find her. You can go to amazon.com and check out her books there. They're phenomenal. She's got so much great information today and just being a generous, kind person. I've asked her to come on the porch now twice to explain kind of things that most of us are going, is something happening to me? Is something happening? And I'm like, Ann, the world needs you. Get your cape. Tell us what's happening to our brains. So that's why Ann's here today. Well, and I'm, I'm usually, glad. thank you, Lindsay. And it's always yes. so fun hanging out with you. And it gives like, you know, it gives me the purpose I think we're all longing for right now. And it gives me yeah. an excuse to actually go and say, okay, let me see if I can validate some of what I think might be going on. Let me see what else might be there. One yep. of the things I found, we're talking about that we get cut off from a number of our senses when we're on Zoom. And yes. we talked a little bit about smell. The other one we get cut off from is touch. And one of the things that I found that I was not aware of, and I put in the article, a fantastic article from Psychology Today, about how much emotional information we are actually transmitting and receiving through touch. 
it's astonishing more so actually what they found is more so than what we're getting through the words or even visually yes. and if you think about us telling lynn's good friend of mine just lost a dear friend through cancer not covid and they went to a very truncated visitation very limited very few people they were managing it as best they could but you know the my immediate thought is like how could you walk into something like that and not want to just yeah, like, like, like almost feel like your arms were getting cut off because it's, yes. how we, we regulate, you know, it's like the, the urge to hug, we can bring our nervous systems together and together we may be able to find a little more regulation. And that mm -hmm. I think is what we're, that's a really technical way of saying, you know, it's a loving thing, but that's part of what we're looking for and the part of what the impact is. And when mm -hmm. we touch, one of the things that gets generated more so in women than in men, but in both sexes is oxytocin, yes. which makes us feel more connected. It's an anti-inflammatory hormone. So it can calm down some of the other things. It can boost your immune system. It's like really, really good for you. And we get that through, that's part of why just hugging can help us can help us regulate and it also gives us information gives other people information about us and i was thinking yeah. about many of us have noticed that we touch our faces a lot is anybody else like raise yeah. your hand <laughs> did you touch your face and they're all like don't touch your face and i'm like well cut off my hands then because yeah like, that's it's so hard it's self it, what it is is it's self-comforting a lot of it is self-comforting like soothing like a little baby like oh just like you would with a baby, you know? Something cries, something feels bad. Whether it's your sweet dog or my little seven month kitten, you know, yeah, exactly. Our, our, you know, with a baby, you think about, we're just programmed, pick it up. Pick it up, give it that touch, give it that, yes. that regulation kind of thing. And even animals will give us that oxytocin. So that's what we're yeah. looking for, both in terms of communicating and also getting a sense of where the person is. And again, some of it we're aware of, like you can hold a frightened animal or a frightened child or human and they'll, and they'll be shaking. Mm -hmm. You can, you're aware, like, okay, this person is, is scared. You can, and, but sometimes again, you're picking up whatever's going on with them in a way it's so subtle, you're not even consciously processing it, but on some level, you know, and you adjust your own communication and things yes. like that accordingly. Yep. So that gets more cut off in this, in this mode. The other reason, the other thing I think, I don't think I said this in the article, but it's a, it's a really important piece is that this, it's a very visual thing right? We're looking at each other. We're, you know, we're right there. We're in, we're holding people in focus. The, the, we process, visual is a primary processing drive of our brain. Did that make sense? It's mm -hmm. like, if, if I'm going to have a client, um, like try to get in touch with how they feel, I will often say, close your eyes. Yeah. Um, or to dream about the future or anything like that, I'll have them close their eyes. And if they resist me because they think that's weird, I will say, let's, let's, let's reduce the distraction of the visual field. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, oh, that sounds good. Like, what do you well, mean? That, I'm sounds, close, close that doesn't sound dorky. Yeah, now I'm in. Biologically <laughs> speaking, I'm in then. Thank oh, you. yeah, that's not really sexy, right? Yeah. But what, what you're trying to do is actually when you when we're visually processing consciously visual yeah. not 
you know, like visually processing, looking at things and taking them on, it is lighting up so much of your brain. It is taking so much of the energy of your brain. So that's why I like visualizing, going within, even checking in with emotions, with things that are not visual can be more powerful if you close your eyes and get and let those neurons do something else or or it's not like those would be the visual neurons but if you calm them down there's more energy available for the other neurons is that makes perfect sense sense? yeah well i mean we're such visual what i hear you saying is that we're such visual beings it's really a strength but zoom is like tap 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 and it's just our nervous system is like trying to process all of that. The other thing that you said before everybody jumped in, but I want to make sure to say is this idea, can you talk about vision again, where you can go? um, How did you say it? How you focus, you come out in and out of um, focus in real life. We come in and out of focus. I think part of the other problem with zoom is that, is that if you and I are just at a restaurant or, um, you know, or there's like a family gathering or something like that. What's going to happen is that I, th- I think is that the two, dom- two of the dominant networks of the brain, the task focus network and the default mode network are going to be more in flux. Mm-hmm. And the default mode is where we think about ourselves, where we imagine the future, we think about the past. It's more of a soft focus network. Yep. Task focus is be present right here, right now, what's happening right in front of me. And I think that Zoom puts us a little more in task network. Yes, I can see that. I mean, I feel it. Yeah, that, I think that's, I, that may be one of the major drains is that we're in this task network, what's happening, what's going on in the chat. If you're leading a Zoom call, where are my slides? What's going on with everybody? What's go- and then we have to talk about, and then there's the whole thing about what's going on with me. Like, what's my yeah. hair doing? And why are you, you know, like, <laughs> why yeah, did I work Usually that? when you're hanging out with your friends, you don't have like a mirror up the whole time where you can see yourself. No, I, so let me bookmark that one. Yeah. Um, but nor, in normal day-to-day life, we're going to be flowing in and out of this default mode where we're going to think, well, how do I feel about that? Back to task and focus, back to default mode. And, but I think Zoom requires a little more. It's still, it's not that your mind is never wandering on Zoom. It's just probably tipped a little more toward this task network. Yep. Both of them take energy in the brain. So it's not that default mode doesn't take energy, but there's, so that's, I'm not, they both burn calories, oxygen in the brain. But I think when we're in this task mode so intensely, it may just, it, it may be just requiring a little more energy. I'm not sure about that, but that's mm-hmm. what it feels like to me. When I've had a day where I'm at my computer, I'm doing a lot of tasks, it can be super joyful and fun. But then I just feel like, oh my God, I just need to let my mind wander. Yeah. So it's maybe it's the type of attention that we're paying and we need to, it's like I got tipped down on the teeter-totter and now I need to balance it out with this just like, okay. And if you are back to back to back Zoom calls, you never get a chance to kind of recalibrate. Yep. That makes perfect sense. That's part of why it's, you need the balance of the, let your mind wander. And I think if you're in, you know, if you're just, you know, like, like if you think about hanging out with your friends, like happy hour, going to a bar or coffee shop or wherever you go, you know, you're going to, you're going to kind of go in and out a little more. Mm -hmm. 
and not have to pay attention to everything. Yeah. So that's so true. And even just like your actual eyeballs, <laughs> I'm like lurking the same distance all day. And when I was in college, my eyes would get so fatigued because I couldn't read and then look up, everything would be a blur. So I wonder too, if there's just that piece of, yeah. you know, when you're at the coffee shop, you're looking, you're looking here, you're looking at the barista, you're looking mid distance, you're looking background. And now we're just this, everything is a foot and a half away from me all the time. Right. And it's a foot and a half away, but I actually can't, to we can't really make eye contact. That's right. And if I look at you, like, what's that? It's so human. To it is. I mean, we want to make eye contact and I am trying to make eye contact, but if I'm really going to sort of make eye contact, I need to look at the little camera. Yeah. But I'm not looking at anybody else. It's really, I actually think that is one that technology probably will solve. Yes. I We're going to figure that one out. Like how we can have more real eye contact that is solvable with yep. technology. I don't think they can bring a smell -o vision. <laughs> quite yet vision you know yeah but um let's talk about this thing about looking at ourselves as well okay, great because uh, you make me think like when you're yeah like you're having coffee with somebody you're not looking at yourself i was certain you make me think who does i think the only people who look at themselves all the time are like dancers yeah and they're not probably looking at their faces but they're spending like who spends the day in front of a freaking mirror? Yeah, it's tiring. Well, this whole idea of self-monitoring that we have naturally as social beings, we self-monitor all the time. And, but we don't have this extra stimulus of like looking at our face the entire time on top of normal self-monitoring. Right. So, you know, assess and adjust. So mm -hmm. we're, you know, we may be listening to ourselves like on the phone or even in a, con even if you and I are in a conversation, this has happened to me, you know, and I can, I got, I, this is why I love Lindsay. We're both like super high energy. And so, you know, like I could, you know, be in a conversation with you and start getting really loud. Yeah. <laughs> and I might notice that I got a little loud and maybe I'm too loud for wherever I am. <laughs> like, yeah. In a really nice restaurant or something. And then I'm going to monitor and adjust. But so I've already got, but now I've got my visual image. And I, part of what I um, know about ourselves is I think about the prime directive in terms of the brain and the whole human system is survival. You know, it's like Maslow's hierarchy, ultimately, yeah. right? You know, we are, we need to first of all survive. And so we need to be know like who are we where are we who are we in relationship to other people and so we've always got a lot of attention here mm -hmm. and now we've added this thing that we're not used to which is looking at ourselves we don't have the the habit of that mm -hmm. and it's extra information in addition to we've always been able to luckily hear ourselves mm -hmm. and you know smell ourselves <laughs> i don't know why i'm going there but there is that um, and maybe look at, you know, I can look at my hand and all of that, but I'm not like, it's not part of human history that we would be looking at our own faces. Yep. It's very I, odd. I think it's pulling a lot of our attention. And my belief is that to pull away is like, it's a little bit like pulling up some strong Velcro for your brain. Mm -hmm. It's like, 
kind of have to make yourself pull away. And then you're also monitoring this desire to uh, judge yourself yes. or something or have an internal dialogue about whether that's a good color that you're wearing for Zoom or, you yeah. know. <laughs> totally. How's your camera angle? Yeah. Right. That's exactly it. So that this whole piece about connecting and how different it is. We've talked about visually how it's different, smelling how it's different. Then you have your over, you're almost over connecting to yourself because you're watching yourself all the time and your brain is naturally, it's kind of like the cocktail party effect. If you hear your name in a busy crowd, you'll, you're naturally pull it out. Well, the same with our face now. When you see your face in the lineup, it's natural that you're going to look at yourself and it doesn't mean, and I think you said this in your article, um, Sam will post that article a couple times so people can see it. Um, but this, oh, I just lost my actual thought. Hold on. You said this in the article about the cocktail. Oh, it doesn't mean oh, like narcissistic. Yeah. It's just I, like humans do this. Right. I've heard people be like, oh my God, and all I can do is watch myself and what's wrong with me that I keep looking at myself. And it's like, it's, I like, I really think, um, your analogy to this cocktail party effect, which is very well studied. Yeah. That, and it's all about where we're putting attention and that we have this capacity to, to pay attention to what's critical and drown out what's not. And it's very hard to drown out anything that is in reference to ourselves. But otherwise yes. we can, you know, we can fuzz out a lot of things because the brain's always trying to say what's relevant. Yep. And how do I stay safe? And so there's this weird thing with Zoom where all of our normal um, ways of sort of judging who we are in relationship to other people are a little more shut down. And so it just, I think that's, it's, we're coming back to is why does this make us tired? And somebody's saying it may help if you don't, if you do presenter view and not the whole. Yeah, not have your own people. picture up. Yeah turning off the camera, less exhausted. We haven't been so focused on presenting that soft smile. I think that's great this, um, because you're not concerned with how you present yourself. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And Norma said, this is so true. I know. I don't know why people told me I have a resting bitch face because <laughs> you're like, oh, that's what I look like when I'm listening. Well, I got to change that. That, that could be a useful thing. There's, there could be something just like, why do dancers watch themselves in the mirrors to see, or in yep. yoga or anything, or in exercise, to see where you're off. I think that can be very helpful. And you know, as a yep. keynote speaker, Lindsay, it can be very helpful to have yourself videotaped because you can see, are there habits of the way you put, I realized I was doing a lot of frowning because I, that's how I think, you know, it's yep. just frowning a lot, but it doesn't make me look very accessible. And yep. so I've had to really, um, and I look back, I, you know, I like it's, I'm more relatable when I smile and mm-hmm. I, otherwise I, I'd look a little grim. So I, that's been helpful to kind of see that. Sure. Um, you don't need to see it all the time. What are some other positives? We were talking about this before because it's easy, ironically, while we're on Zoom to be like, this is why Zoom is the worst. But we've also talked about like a couple things that you know whenever new technology comes out we're always wary of it now we're talking about it is good to be a little bit more self-aware that could be helpful what are some other positives if you have some notes if you have some thoughts about this feel free to write it in the chat yeah and do other ones come to mind for you other positives of this 
Um, of being on Zoom. Well, I think sort of, I mean, I think it can give you more information about how you are coming across. And I think that can be useful because a lot of times in leadership, coaching mm -hmm. in this, in teaching, we don't know. Mm -hmm. And we may be doing something that is, is having an unintentional impact that isn't what you want. And if you can watch yourself a little bit and manage that, um, that can be really useful. This is, there's another one and a lot of people have talked about it. You were there with your dog. This is my cat's butt up there. Mm -hmm. um, there's a humanizing yep. that's available. Um, I'm a big believer and I know you are that as well in this, you know, man, um, I, we all could use some more humanizing. And so mm -hmm. this being able to see each other from a distance and see the, we can get more of the context of that yep. person. And that automatically will trigger more empathy in most people. If you are more of a, if you're, some people are deficient in empathy, but for most of us, <laughs> I was thinking about, we were doing a seminar and um, my business partner was coaching someone and she's just an excellent, excellent coach. And at one person's point, she had this, she said to this young woman, she said, well, why don't you just go ahead and stand up? And she said, don't worry about it. And this woman's like, I'm in my pajamas. <laughs> she really was. She was in the cutest little pink striped linen rumpled pajamas. No one knew. And, and it just, I think, and she was, and she was so brave and she just got up in her, you couldn't kind of tell from here, but you, you could really tell when she stood up. But it was this, like, I think we all, our hearts just melted with her courage and her humanity. And, mm -hmm. you know, the dog starts barking or the kid comes by. I mean, those videos are the ones that get a ton of attention because right. I think we, we like to see each other's humanness. Yeah. The dog. I think that's so true. And that, that piece too, with, um, you know, 93% of communication is nonverbal. So as tiring as it is, if you are having any type of conversation with where you need relational glue, it's more helpful to have all of the cues yeah. there. Um, even more so in human person, person form, 4D form, but video is still gives you way more data than any. Yeah. It's not giving you the in-person, but it, 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 I, I was thinking about this in terms of, you know, being a coach, I have traditionally, I, I was a coach before Zoom was invented. I've been a coach for 20 years and, um, I have always worked over the phone mm -hmm. and I can pick up a lot because actually the visual field is shut down. My focus is very soft. I'm not focusing on anything, usually wandering around my house. Yep. Um, I used to tell Lindsay, I have to say when I was coaching her, her energy is so big, I would always just go outside. I would be like, what is this? I would find myself just, I was like, your energy is too big. I can't even be inside. <laughs> but I can pick up a lot because I'm not distracted by the visual. Now, what I think the difference is, is like in a meeting. I, because that is harder to pick up what's going on with everybody yeah. um, than it is if I'm just focused on one person and I, you know, and there's like a big pause or there's a catch in your voice or something. I can hear that, but with, you know, maybe 10 people in a meeting, but if we're all on the Brady Bunch view on the screen, I can see more how what I'm saying is landing or not. Yep. That's so very I true. Think, I think that's good. Um, plus, uh, you know, on the, it's harder to hide. And so, you know, if I'm, if I'm leading a meeting and somebody, you know, sort of has a look on their face, I might say, Hey, you know, what's going on over there? What would you like to add? 
Yep. Whereas on a conference call, I might not know that they're a little disconnected. Yep. They could be on mute making a milkshake. Who knows what they're doing? They <laughs> yeah. probably are. So, yeah. what, so I'm, I'm curious, Anne, as we kind of move through, we, we've talked about like the stress, those first couple weeks, we're all in amygdala hijack. We're all just kind of freaked out. Now we're moving into this cadence of like, okay, I think I'm kind of getting the hang of this. And then, you know, so many messages, like if, if we open up the country or if we open state by state, it's going to be slow. And so this idea that kept coming to mind is let's talk about resiliency. Let's yeah. talk about um, what resilience. practically too that we can do. But this is not, you know, I wish in the beginning, I was kind of wishful thinking like, okay, we're going to do this for a month and then back to normal, you know? And now I'm like, uh, we are not going back anywhere. This will now be integrated into our lives. Zoom, it's not like we're all going to just stop doing video conferences. It's going to continue to integrate into our lives. So I'm curious, do you have any thoughts about even just emotional resiliency and this kind of every day feels the same? We are never going to return to where we were. Do you have any thoughts? Uh, sort yeah. of both, both in terms of how do we manage this sort of video world that we're in, as well as resilience in general. Um, do, Lindsay, do you know the Stockdale paradox? I think we've talked about it, but will you? Maybe did we talk about it last time or did somebody bring it up? It's this idea, and I believe it comes out, and I'm not going to remember exactly, but it comes out of the maybe the Korean War, uh, Korean POWs. Um, but basically, here's what it is, and here's what the research points to what resilience really takes in three major factors. And then we can see how they map to this whole video world. Mm -hmm. But the, the biggest one that is probably the most surprising, so the, the two that are less surprising are that people who, and they found this in um, Holocaust survivors as well, that what protects us is making meaning out of our situation. Finding a way to make meaning. And I was saying early on, like, you know, I love hanging out with you. It gives me something meaningful in my day. Mm -hmm. You know, it gives me some way that I feel like my life matters. And that is a gift to me. Thank God. Yep. Um, so also personal connection is part of resilience. Having a, having a, you know, some kind of social network builds resilience, having meaning. And the one that can be a little surprising is uh, facing the truth. So the Stocktail paradox about survivors in a POW camp was that the ones that kept saying, oh, I know we're going to be out by Easter, didn't have as high a survival rate as the ones who said, I don't know when this is going to end and I'm going to make the best of it while I'm in it. And I actually- I think that's in Victor Frankl's book too. Yeah, I think so too. I think they may have found that in the, in the in concentration yes. as well. But you can see that now. You can see the people saying, I was on a call with some of my good, good friends last night. And one of them was saying like, this just has to end. This just has to end. When is, you know, like we need to, like, we can't keep doing this, which I get that I have certainly been there for days at a time. But what I have found sort of better for my mental health is to say, I don't know. I don't know yeah. when it's going to end. Yeah. I don't want to put all of my hope and like that's what's going to be okay into that basket because we know like california just saw they just got extended i think to june 1st and this is if you're watching this on repeat this is april 30th 
-hmm. So another month. And so if you had your heart set on, this was going to be over by May 15th, well, you just got really disappointed again. Yeah. And that's going to be a little harder for your system to take. And that's I'm not hard. talking about having like a depressing, negative, you know, Eeyore view of things, but it's for resilience. It's this a friend of mine used to call it, what are the ruthless rules of reality? What's the reality right now? And they find that businesses and individuals who can say basically, this is what it is, much more resilient. That makes perfect sense. That's one thing that we changed in our house was that we were in a similar way saying like, well, this won't be too much longer. It won't be too much longer. We're, we're coming close. You know, the governor tomorrow in Indiana is going to tell us what's going on. And then we just decided last week, we had this moment, we were on a walk with the dogs and we thought, what if we just start planning as if this is all that 2020 is? What, we just did this thought experiment. Like, what if this is what it is? And we don't keep like waiting for the day where everything opens. And we actually made different decisions. I would say higher self-care decisions because it was like, okay, if this is 2020, Lindsay's, we're not going to keep daydreaming that I'm going to go back and speak on a stage in front of thousands of people anytime soon. What do we need to do? We need to make a studio. We need a second office. Everything needs to be more ergonomic. We need the workout stuff that we're used to at, from our trainer. We need this. We need, and we just made those decisions so that regardless, hey, maybe we will be out. Maybe we will start shifting tomorrow. Maybe the governor will start opening up Indiana. But if he doesn't, we've actually made better long-term decisions for us and we're taking better care of ourselves when we're almost in a victim mindset yeah. and we're like when are you gonna let me free when are you gonna let me free we actually give over more power that's good i think that's good it it's it's you know you make me think and then there's some really good questions in the chat and some yeah. really good comments and people are saying victoria's saying i've been doing it it's reducing the anxiety and you make yep. me you know, as you were talking about it, I thought, isn't this what like the Buddhists have been telling us and like Eckhart Tolle and like the mindfulness mm -hmm. people are like, be here and Ram Das, you know, be yep. here now and yep. make decisions from now. And I think about in my company, Lindsay, you know, one of the things that was one of the things that we did early on is we said, and we, we didn't even have an end date in mind, but we basically said, given what's happening right now, what makes sense? rather than plan we had in-person trainings planned all through the summer and yep. back in back in you know february we thought we were going to do them well they've all been canceled at this point but we also had made some other plans that have really done stood us in good stead so thank god yes and so my my anxiety is down because i wasn't planning that that was going to be my income stream thank goodness yep. so somebody had a um, there's a bunch of yeah and I just, I didn't, but Allie, I wanted to catch Allie's. If we need to train or hold a longer meeting that was supposed to be in person, um, how do you organize this? And um, I do have a couple of thoughts, Allie. Um, and Deborah also said doing polls. I think, so I've been doing a lot of online training. And one of the things I had to cancel was a four day, eight hour a day training in London that was supposed to happen in early March. And obviously couldn't go to London and yeah, all of that. So I learned a lot by doing that. Um, one of the things, so one of the things is depending on your group, depending on the size, depending on how interactive the training is, one of the things I learned is classic training is a break every 90 minutes. For Zoom, it seems to be more like 75 minutes. 
Mm-hmm. So that's just a little rule of thumb. Yep. Break a little bit earlier and a little more often. Yep. We did we did five hours one day and then four hours the other day. And what I know, I'm sort of like trying to figure out how is this working. This was very interactive with a small group, lots of conversation and some breakout rooms. I still noticed that about three hours, it kind of felt like we were all just sort of done. Yeah. And we all kind of like, you know, sucked it up and got a little second gear, like pulled it, put on our big girl underwear and like, boy, you know, and like did a little more. But to me, if I think about longer trainings, um, the way that I, if I had to do a day long training again, or five hours, I would probably do like two and a half and then take a much longer break. Yeah. Tell everybody go outside, meditate Mm -hmm. something. And then if you had to do like a, and I would not do eight hours, I would limit it to five. That is a lot for people to be paying this amount of attention. And what's going to happen is whatever was supposed to be gotten into, they're not going to learn it. It's kind of, yep. Yeah. And when when we did, the other thing, Ellie, I would say is that when we did breakout rooms and gave people a chance to just talk one on one, that already they would that would they would come back and they'd be just it was like they'd gotten a boost of energy because I think they only had to process one person rather than and they could talk more. Yeah. So I think you know giving people and it was remarkably easy. I was thinking I can't do breakout rooms. I don't have time. And actually, it doesn't take any time. And you just put everybody in the breakout room. You say, what do you think about this? Pull them. You know, even if it's just six minutes. Yep. It, Amazing. So I think that's so smart. Yeah. What about this? What about this question from Caitlin? What do we do? Um, I've seen this sort of false positivity or waiting for what's next, and it doesn't feel genuine. Any tips on how to respond to people who are in kind of false positivity mode? Kind of the spiritual bypass. Yeah, that we talk of, about. Yeah, this like, idea of like. Yeah. For me, that sort of goes into the false positivity. What ends up happening with that is that whatever they're really feeling is being suppressed. And that's often why it feels really just, you know, off to be with them. Yeah. Because, you know, it's not, uh, it's not really there. Uh, What do I do if I feel like somebody's being, it depends on my relationship with them and how straight I can be. And as a coach, if it's a client, I've got lots of tools to kind of get around to how they're really feeling and get them to voice that. But that's in a professional relationship. Um, I have sort of two answers. If it's a really good friend and we have a pretty honest relationship, I might, I would probably call them out on it. Yeah. You know, say something. If it's somebody that's a little more peripheral, I would probably avoid them. Yeah. Well, because we can't, some people don't want to tap into how they're really feeling right now. It's, it could be because it reminds them of something in their past, or that's not something that they've had to do personal work around. And so it can be really draining when you feel when somebody's not aligned inside, it can be really draining to kind of play the game with them. So that makes sense that you might, we've changed, like having to change your social circles or who do I spend in, invest in right now that can be here now with me? Right, right. I think it can be be true on either end of the spectrum. There's a couple people in my life, actually in my family, who have a very dark view of life in general and always want to take the conversation to this, like, I call it, you know, 
life is terrible and we're all going to die, which is, you know, true that we're all going to die at some point. But, you know, I don't have, I'm finding in this time, I don't have the filtering energy to filter that. And so I've actually stopped talking to a couple of people. Not like I'm not talking to you, but I've just kind of moved things more to like a little check-in on email and a check-in on chat like that, because I am finding I need, I need a lot. I need all my energy for um, my clients and myself. That's right. Yeah. I don't have the extra to go down this tunnel of how awful this all is. I get that. I'm not avoiding it. So there's that end of the spectrum as well Mm -hmm. as like the poly positive sort of thing. And it's, it's weird because I also really appreciate people who can say, you know, I'm, I just saw that the Arctic ozone layer seems to have healed itself. That's pretty cool. Like there, there are some genuine positives. Totally. Yeah. Yep. So So finding that balance or people that can live in both. Yeah. In the tension of reality, that's the tension of reality that not everything's perfect and we are going to die someday, which is really intense to think about, but this idea of like, and all, all we ever had was this moment anyway, so let's live here and now. Yeah, and I think about, I've been thinking a lot about what are the Zoom things that drain me? What are the things that in, in, enliven me? Some of it is the platform and some of it is the conversation. That's right. That makes sense to me. I talk in my article, I've got this group of five women, four women plus me, um, and we very early on, we'd agreed to meet weekly and... Um, we also, not it wasn't a super formal way, but we kind of just made this request, like let's not spend all of our time talking about how awful it is. So we have this beautiful yeah. rhythm where we kind of check in, how's everybody doing? There's actually room if you're doing great, you can celebrate that. There's room if you're not doing great. And we don't just talk about COVID the whole time. And that that's an intentional, I would call it design. And so I, I really look forward to that group because I feel like the conversation is real and supportive. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I think there's also that. Um, I gave the other example. I think one of my rules now, and I've had some experiences, if it's a social gathering, do not have it be too big. It's stupid and pointless. It's just like, yeah. so in my article, I talk about doing Easter with the whole family. And there's like 20 people on there. And we're, you know, that in my family, we would never have all 20 people have a conversation. It's just not human. Yeah. Right? We peel right. off. And I go talk to my nieces because I find them delightful and I want to talk with them about fashion and get their advice. And there's like the three or four of us in the corner talking. You yeah. Know? And then all the freaking computer geeks who think they know everything about everything, they just go talk to each other. I don't have to be part of that. But here we are on Zoom, like all taking turns and it was excruciating and I hated I it. Guess. Yeah, I can totally see that. What are some other, what are some other tips? You shared a couple of them in your article. Yeah. Things that we could do, behaviors we could adopt that are different, that can help us mitigate this way of communicating. Yeah, I'm not sure there's any other really great earth-shaking ones. I do think if it's social, keep it manageable. You know, five people where yep. everybody does get a chance to talk and be seen and heard. Yep. Um, I think maybe having a, you know, does it's a little agreement about hey guys let's you know let's share something cool let's talk let's also share something real you know where you have a little bit of that yeah um 
I think that the other, this is back to your like, what if this just is the way it is? And I think that's so brilliant that you guys talked about how do we set up our life? One of the things I think in the urgency of all of this is some people overbooked themselves. Mm -hmm. Some people are underbooked, some people are overbooked. So I think it is saying how much time on video actually works for me during a day. Asking, just asking yourself. Totally, yep. and noticing. Like, oh, you know, I had two one-hour meetings today and I feel fine. And I had, you know, five hours and I feel like shit. Okay, now you know, and just know this might be more longer term. So set your boundaries around that. Structure your day around that. Say no. If yes. you've already got two Zoom meetings that day, say no to the third one. There will be another time. Mm-hmm. And yep. You need to not burn yourself out and exhaust yourself because man, if you do get exposed to this virus, your immune system's gonna be less able to deal with it. So I think like learning your capacity and then having those boundaries would be one of my, that's one of my biggest advices to myself. Yes, I'm with you. We, we were talking to our team, doing check-ins with our team this last week. And we were like crispy critters the first two weeks, just adjusting. Then we kind of found our sea legs and we were moving, 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 moving. And now we're at week like six and all of us are kind of getting, Thursday feels like Friday. We're feeling more fatigued. And so even saying like, okay, this is what we're going to do next week in light of how we all feel this week. How are we going to pivot? What about, I'm just going to ask some of the questions that are here in the chat too, because I, I want to be mindful. Yeah, right we answered tonight. Trisha's question about ambiguity. Yeah, please yeah. do. And then I want to hear what else you're seeing, but that one really intrigued me. Yes, That's, me too. It's one of, Trisha, it's one of the most exhausting things about this time is unpredictability and ambiguity. And our brains are, are, are primed our prediction machines, it's how we run, is on prediction. We're constantly a couple of beats ahead. It's back to how we survive. We need to know what's coming like that. So one of the things that I focus on, and Lindsay, this might even be, we could even do another call if you want to. But one of the things that I, that I love is that, here's the power of, of human beings. You cannot control the external circumstances a lot of the time. and you know, whether you agree with some of the rules that are happening right now and when we should open right now, there are in, in most states certain rules that you, you know, are in violation of the law or a government order if you don't abide by. So you can't control that. And you can't control when this is gonna actually be over. But here's what you can do, you can look here. And you can say, okay, I can't predict anything out there what can I predict about me? So you can say, well, I can predict, or I would like to, so here's the, here's the process that I use to say, well, okay, I don't like any of this. What would I like to, so that I can't control of it, what would I like to be able to predict about me? So you, you can say, well, I would like to be able to predict that I, am, that I can get through this, right? That I'm resilient, that I'm creative, me, it all is like right here. It's not, I would like to predict that the government opens tomorrow or the state opens tomorrow. No, I would like to predict that I'm capable and able no matter what happens. Okay, so then the question that I ask is, well, what evidence do you have for that? Not like a judgment, like a real curiosity. When, and another way of asking is, well, when have you been resilient and predictable? And, and sorry, resilient and creative. 
Mm-hmm. You know, you might say, well, you know, that or what hard thing have you gotten through before? What thing that felt really impossible did you get through? Mm-hmm. And what I think is really critical for the brain is that you take this desired way of being or desired future about yourself and you link it to something real. Because if you say, you know, for so for me, I said, wow, I got through a really bad relationship last year and I really didn't know how I was going to, you know, move out and restructure my life. It was really, really hard. And there were lots of reasons it was hard. He was a really bad guy. And I got through that. Well, you know what? That tells me something about me. Mm-hmm. It tells me. And yeah. that, so that's what I have been telling myself. I cannot predict what's going to happen. But what I can say is, do you know what? You've gotten through some shit before. Yep. You probably I, do it again. I think that's <laughs> you like so that one? <laughs> Well, we would talk about that in coaching school too, helping our clients borrow their own courage. You have courage. Go borrow it from yourself. I love that. What a great phrase. You know, how do I borrow my own courage? When have I been through this before? When have I been through a time of the unknown? I think about like, you know, when my dad was in January, he was in Indianapolis with us and he had what looked like a stroke when he was visiting and- you know, I thought about like, well, how did I handle that? I just said, Hey, all I have is this moment with him. We're going to move through this moment. Then the ambulance is going to come and they're going to take care of him. And then we're going to move through the next moment. And having to borrow that, I was, that also reminded me, um, Anne of this, when I was going through a divorce, this was like six years ago now, but I remember one day I was driving in my car and I thought, no, and I was going through a divorce in the Christian world. So it was, there was layers of shame. It wasn't just so like, hard. Eh, it was very hard. And I'm driving and I thought, nobody's actually saying mean things to me right now. Nobody's hurting me. Nothing is actually happening to me. And I said out loud, I'm driving my car. All we're doing right now is I'm driving my car. So I'm, I'm creating suffering in my imagination because I'm going, well, what if this person thinks this? What if this person thinks this? What's going to happen to me? And will I ever get married again? What, what? And I'm in all this, this stress, anxiety, suffering. I was making up in my head. All I was really doing was driving my car in Westfield, Indiana. And so this idea of I can either borrow my own courage from past or I can create more suffering for myself. You know, we have a little bit more probably mental control than we did a couple weeks ago, maybe. And so now we can start to like, how do I control my thoughts a little bit more or choose to borrow courage or borrow suffering? I think- that helps us all kind of, and, and we all have different circumstances. So it's like, well, sure. It's easy for me to say I'm, you know, privileged and I'm not, you know, I don't have to go work in front lines every day. And we all to, to not compare, to not put ourselves in a position or try to create a hierarchy of all the people around us of who has it worse than the next. And just look at our own lives. Like you said in the beginning, you did this, like looking in, not look out, look in and see where you can borrow. Yeah. Not look out at what I can't control, or maybe, you know, if I, you know, I'm so desperate to get out that I do some things that put other people at risk. That's not the kind of legacy I want to have. I don't want to put myself at risk, you know, so, you know, what, what can't, where, you know, what can I do? And it's a beautiful thing about human beings is that is how amazingly resilient we are. Yes. 
And I think, you know, I'm noticing there's so many good comments in the chat. Sorry, everybody, but, you know, Barbie is saying, you know, people, you know, the leader is saying schedule all of these. And I, you know, I don't know, it depends on if that person will listen or not. There's a twofold thing here that I want to say. So we've talked about this. So the exhaustion is coming from stress. This level of attention that Zoom is requiring when we're so much on Zoom, if it go, if it's, it can actually be sort of, you know, if you're, if you're just sitting at home and you got nothing going on all week and Wednesday nights, you got, you know, have a little wine with your girlfriends on Zoom, it's probably not exhausting you. We're sort of talking about, you know, so there's like, there's too much, but it can be stimulated. That could be really fun. This Barbie's talking about, you know, back-to-back -back Zoom meetings. So it's creating stress. It's creating a drain. It's exhausting people. That leader might think, well, so what? They're working. Well, here's the so what. Stress impacts our ability to be creative, to think outside the box, to have empathy, to make plans. All of that is not just people are tired. It's that people become less able. They become less effective. So that's the connection there, why we care. Yes. So all the back-to-back -back Zoom meetings, you're probably getting less productivity than if they just gave it a break. And if that is something that this person could understand, if they're willing to listen, that could be very useful. Yep. We talk about that when we coach teams, whenever we do a check-in, one to 10, how stressed are you? If somebody's at a seven, eight, nine, the goal is to lower their stress, not right. like, well, let's cheerlead them to do more. Like that's... Right. We're beyond functional right. levels of stress. We've hit, gone beyond it. So, right. nice. so if, you're, if you're at a one on stress and you're just real bored and nothing's very fun, have a few Zoom meetings, you know? <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing wrong with it. It's just, I think we were talking about like all, you know, when it goes too far. So it can be the thing that perks you up too. So that's an advantage. Yeah. This was a blast. This was. Thank you so much, Ann. Thank you, friends, for joining us. Um, you can find Anne. Can what? What's the best website or place for them to find you, Anne? Um, I got a, a number of things out there, but uh, my website is beaboveleadership.com, and we also have a YouTube channel with lots of stuff about coaching and some other stuff about stress. And that is be above, and it's be like be above, be above yep. leadership on YouTube. So that's a good place to find me as well. So thank yep. you. Yeah, we will send out a recording of this. If you have people that you think would enjoy it, we'll send that to you. We'll make sure Anne's contact information is in that follow-up email too. Um, as many people as you can have in your life that want to help you understand your nervous system, help you understand stress, I think that's a win for all of us as we kind of build new life teams in this new era uh, of time that we're all in. So Anne, I just so deeply appreciate you. You've been such a pivotal human in my life and in, on my team. So thank you so much. Thank you all for being here. We'll see you real soon on the porch. Yeah, thank you guys. Thanks everybody. Thanks, Lindsay. Bye everybody. Bye. Bye.